Bam Radio Network. We need to be careful about labeling all 19th century methods as obsolete, that some of them might be vintage. Just because they're old or been around for a long time that does not necessarily make them bad. Many people are not necessarily teaching the students, they're teaching courses. And they hold on to these courses and teach them year after year after year. So they become very possessive of the curriculum and they are less likely to be collaborative with other people. The elementary school teachers are gung-ho and want to collaborate with everybody. But as we get up into the high school teachers, they want to be a little more secluded and, and collaboration is not you know number one priority on their list. Welcome to EdChat Radio. I'm Tom Whitby. Tonight with us, we've got uh, two EdChat team members, Nancy Blair from Georgia and Jerry Switek from Florida. We're all getting together tonight to talk about this week's EdChat. The uh, topic was how should teachers deal with colleagues who are comfortable with 19th century methods and punitive measures for non-compliant students? Sounds like a complicated question, but it's one that I often thought about when my students would come in with hours worth of worksheets that somebody had given them. And uh, I knew it was not the best way for them to be learning. And, and how do you deal with a colleague who does that on a, on a consistent basis? So I would just throw it to Nancy first as to what her impressions were. And Nancy, what was it you got exactly from um, that Ed Chat? Well, the Ed Chat took several different directions. Some uh, took it from the tech integration standpoint. Some took it from the pedagogy point. Some took it from the behavioral point. And the conversation kind of developed in multiple directions in the course of the evening. But a recurring theme or recurring themes from the chat were areas of concern. People registered concern about was that the role of a teacher to influence other teachers. There was a lot of expression of fear as one of the reasons that people don't change. People were concerned about loss of control, and that was one of the reasons given for why people are resistant to change. And the solution that was often presented was about modeling what you expect and having mentors and tapping into to the student expertise to help teachers. Yeah, as far as the technology goes. Yes. Jerry, what what, what were you uh, concentrating on during that EdChat discussion? Yeah, I sort of focused on the kind of the behavior side of, uh, of the question, and that's kind of how I took it. So, you know, a lot of the, the tweets that I replied to dealt with, you know, student behavior and how teachers are handling them uh, nowadays. You know, so there was a lot of discussion about, you know, teachers using some older methods for discipline. There were even some discussions about uh, corporal punishment and things like that. So as Nancy mentioned, you know, sometimes these, these topics have a, a bit of a life of their own and sort of spawn off into different conversations. And, and that's really what, uh, what the Ed Chats are all about. And it's, it's a, a fantastic model for that. One of the, the things that, that always concerned me, though, and it, it actually did come up in this because one, one of the uh, words that I use during the chat was uh, to police someone else's behavior. And, and a lot of people took offense to the word policing. Uh, I didn't you know, mean it in the sense that we were going to arrest anybody, just monitoring what someone else is doing for the sake of helping them out is, is what I had in mind. But there's a fine line there when, when you see a colleague not doing the right thing and using methods that are outdated. Do we have an obligation to say something to them? You know, you can't always model it for them because they're not in your classroom to see you modeling things. Yeah, I think the big issue, Tom, is, you know, who who is it that determines the quote unquote right thing? 
you know, there are many teachers who think what they're doing is perfectly fine, whether they've been doing it for, for three years or for 20 years. And, you know, who are they to say that one teacher is doing it wrong and, and they're doing it correct? I think that was, you had quite a bit of, uh, not necessarily backlash, but quite a response to that tweet I noticed uh, as I was perusing the archive. I think the issue is that, you know, teachers just simply don't think that it's their role or their responsibility to be, you know, looking at what other teachers are doing, trying to deal with what their colleagues are, are doing in their classrooms. And I, I think that was kind of how that tweet was taken. Yeah. It was also tossed back into the administrator's lap quite a bit. Uh, there were several people who were uncomfortable in that role and, and felt like that was an administrative obligation if they felt that change was needed, that the administrators, that that was their responsibility to, I don't know, force the change would be the word. But one of the tweets last night from 21st principle was that perhaps a school where a teacher can exist hung up on 19th century pedagogy is the problem, not the teacher. So he kind of threw it back in a school culture realm that, you know, maybe the problem is bigger than a resistant teacher or a teacher stuck in their old ways. It does come down to leadership and, and it does come down to school culture. I think if an administrator is doing their job, there is an open dialogue between that administrator and teachers of the building. If a teacher feels comfortable enough to say something about what a colleague is doing without feeling that it's ratting on somebody. But I think maybe open discussions of, of what people do within the classroom might alleviate that kind of um, behavior within the classroom. And, and once again, it comes down to that school culture. We talk about this quite a bit. But if you've got a, a, a toxic culture in a school, nothing gets done. And those are the schools that, that are failing. If you've got a thriving collaborative culture, chances are those types of things will work themselves out with, with a strong leadership. Another thread that developed during this conversation, uh, and J John Spencer brought it up, that we need to be careful about labeling all 19th century methods as obsolete, that some of them might be vintage. And there was quite a bit of conversation about longstanding quality instructional practices, for example, Socratic seminar, and that these kinds of practices, just because they're old or been along, around for a long time, does not necessarily make them bad. And so then that evolved into a conversation about balancing old and new. There are valuable techniques that have been around for a really long time, but now there's a need to pair those with more modern techniques. For instance, collaboration. Collaboration has been around forever, but only with the use of, of more of the, the modern technology do we have the ability to use it to the extent that we can use it today. It, it's kind of moved collaboration from the background to the forefront with all of the uh, various applications and social media, quite frankly, that we have, where people can collaborate a, a considerably quicker and, and more efficiently and, and also worldwide. We've never had the ability to do that before. So, so that is a, is a pedagogy that is, has kind of gone from the background to the forefront. And yeah, one of the, the, the things that I find most frustrating in my role in my school district is the lack of collaboration uh, between teachers from school to school. And uh, I don't know if it's a, a culture, a school culture thing in my school district, but I work primarily with high school teachers. And man, oh man, it's it's the high school teachers that I typically work with that are the, the most unwilling to collaborate with their their fellow teachers in the school. And it seems to, as you go down in the grade level, that fear of collaboration tends to go away that 
the elementary school teachers are gung-ho and want to collaborate with everybody. But as we get up into the high school teachers, they want to be a little more secluded and, and collaboration is not, you know, number one priority on their list. And I don't know if that's something that is that happens nationwide or worldwide or if it's something that is kind of you know, stuck in my district, kind of a, a cultural thing. I, you know, I, I found high school teaching, I mean, this is a generalization, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but, but I have found middle school teachers to be very collaborative. They're very team oriented because that's the nature of middle school teachers. And, and it's also the culture of most middle schools to, to use uh, a team approach to teaching and, and collaborative approaches in most other areas. But once you get up into the high school, um, many people are, are not necessarily teaching the students, they're teaching courses. And within their careers, they've waited a long time to get certain specific courses. And when they get these courses, they make the courses their own and they hold on to these courses and teach them year after year after year. So they become very possessive of the curriculum and they are less likely to be collaborative with other people. That's a generalization and not every high school teacher does that. I understand that. But as a general rule, I often tell my students, you know, middle school teachers teach kids and high school teachers teach courses. That's an interesting take. I think that's a, an atmosphere that needs to change, though, doesn't it? I, I mean, it really comes down to being all about the kids and not about necessarily the comfort of the teacher teaching that course. It comes down to the culture again. You know, this is the way schools have done it for years and years and years. I would think that uh, any teacher, for instance, in English, if you're if you're a certified English teacher, you should be qualified to teach any English course there is. So therefore, rotating courses out might be a way to alleviate this. You know, you teach different courses every year. Uh, people don't want to do that. They get comfortable with the courses that they teach. Uh, they don't necessarily like changing up every every year. Quite frankly, I, I found it necessary when I was teaching to, to have to have some kind of change. I didn't want to keep doing the same thing year after year after year, but everybody's different. In this ed chat where we kind of had these two strains of conversation with regard to technology integration and how that influences these old style teachers and some that just talked about instructional practices, one of the people, a principal Dunlop said that using tech doesn't guarantee excellent teaching and great learning. And it reminded me of an article I read not long ago by an associate professor at Grand Valley State College, uh, Robert Talbert. And he said that technology neither improves or diminishes learning. It's the instructional design choices made and the instructional practices used by the individual teachers with individual students that do this. And that really resonated with me. And I think that really ties together the, the kind of weaves together the two strains that emerged last night that, you know, certainly technology can um, enhance what's going on, but if you don't use it in a meaningful way, if you make poor design choices, if all you do is digitize your worksheets, then you're not going to get the changes that you would get otherwise. If all you do is use your technology for drill and practice and not change your instructional practices and include some of these opportunities for collaboration, then you won't get any different results. The, the other thing that, that drives me crazy about when they are assessing technology in the classroom is, is oftentimes they will throw the technology at the teacher and say, here, do something with it. And then they try to assess it when the teacher was never really trained in how to use that technology to accomplish what it is that they need to accomplish. So using technology for the sake of using technology without any training or professional development in that very technology 
when when you assess how effective that is in the classroom, it's never going to come out on top. That was uh, another one of the threads of conversation last night, that there's a real need for supportive PD and that teachers in general have a lack of time to explore and learn techniques and tools. And, and so whether you're talking technology or talking instructional practices, this lack of time and opportunity and training was a recurring theme. Yeah, and here in the state of Florida, Part of the teacher's observation, uh, yearly observation, is based on technology. And I know that in speaking with teachers at EdCamp uh, this past October and teachers in my school district, the, the biggest concern is that, just like you said, Tom, the technology is thrown at them. They're essentially required to use it because if they're not using it when they get observed, it's a mark off on that observation piece. But the professional development component is just not there. Or it's there, but it's just not supported enough as the school year goes on. That's such a huge issue because when a teacher's not comfortable with the technology, it's just simply not going to be used. Whiteboard, interactive whiteboards are a perfect example of that. How many teachers today have interactive whiteboards in their classrooms and they use them to show movies? That's it. I worked with a teacher about a year and a half ago who had an interactive whiteboard installed in her classroom, received not one moment of training, and the manual she was handed was how to install the whiteboard. So not even anything about how to operate it. It was how to install the whiteboard. And um, I talked with another teacher that in her elementary school, interactive whiteboards were installed in every classroom and they received the student response system that goes along with the whiteboards. And by Christmas, only one teacher was using the response system and only two or three teachers were using the board for anything other than a screen because they received not one moment of training. Yes, Nancy. Yeah. So, Tom, you mentioned earlier, you know, it's it's not about the technology, it's about really the, the pedagogy. And, and there was a really great tweet that I found in the archive from uh, VR2LTCH. Uh, and it said, I have a colleague who's very low tech, but has the kiddos completely locked on his every word. And I, that really just reiterates the point that regardless of the amount or type of technology you can throw into a classroom, it really comes down to good, high quality classroom instruction, good, high quality lessons. I tell my teachers all the time, you can take a really, you know, a, a really bad lesson and throw all the technology you want to at it in the world, and it's still going to be a really bad lesson. But you take that, that really good lesson and throw a piece of technology, and it can turn it into a great lesson. And uh, I think that that tweet that was sent out, it was perfect to illustrate that point that it's not about the technology. It's really about building those really great lessons and, and, uh, and having really good, solid pedagogy. I'd like to thank Nancy and Jerry for joining us tonight for our discussion of Ed Chat Radio. We will be doing this from week to week, and hopefully we'll have the two of you back again very soon. You've been listening to Ed Chat Radio. I'm Tom Whitby. This program is produced by Accretive Media for the BAM Radio Network. Thanks for listening.